Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, guys. Um, So the reading today is from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 to chapter 2, verse 10. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breaks swept me over. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So I think Maffy's coming up. Yes, I'll just pray for you, Maff. Um, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for Maffy um, and for the words you have prepared for him to say to us today. And we pray that you prepare our hearts, ready us to learn and understand, and then go out into the week um, with, with renewed hope. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Lena. Guys, I have no voice, so I'll just get this out of the way, first of all. Okay, so I have no voice. I am, this is going to be awkward, 20 minutes. But do listen to this, because I'm convinced that Jesus has a word for us today. So, you know, it's been a big week. It's been a good week. Ireland have the triple crown. Yes? Come on. St. Patrick also died on the 17th of March. And Maffey was born on the 17th of March. So, St. Patrick's Day is always a wonderful day. Well, do you know what's really interesting? We, we know St. Patrick and we love him, but Patrick came to Ireland as a slave. He was dragged to Ireland kicking and screaming. He didn't want to come. He was, he was put in a ship. He was brought here. And he escaped years later. He went back over to England or Wales. And then what happened? Patrick ended up finding his way back to Ireland again. What was it? What was it that drew Patrick back to Ireland, back to the very place that he had been enslaved in? It was the compassion for the people. Patrick had a heart for the people, the very people that that mistreated him, the very people that ill-treated him, the very people that you would think that Patrick would consider his enemy. Patrick had a deep, deep compassion for. And so as we've considered St. Patrick, as we've, we've read his breastplate, we're going to look at another guy who's called Jonah, who is very, very different from, from St. Patrick. Ultimately, Jonah didn't want to go. In fact, Jonah went the opposite direction. 
As soon as he knew that God had, had mercy for, for this wicked pagan people, Jonah bailed. He went the exact opposite direction. And whenever we hear the word Jonah, we consider the big fish, or some people think it's a big wheel. I don't really care what it was. L look at a piece of paper. L look where it says about the fish. Verse 1 and verse 10. Jonah chapter 2 isn't actually primarily about a big fish, believe it or not. What we're going to find that Jonah chapter 2 is about Jonah is a man who is, has been saved by grace. He is a man who is being sustained by grace. And he's a man that will then be sent by grace. And I'm convinced that we as a people here in Dublin are first of all saved by grace. And we're sustained by grace, and we're going to be sent by grace. So we're, we're going to jump straight into this. As chapter 1 comes to a close, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Look, look, look what's revealed. God provided, God, God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. It wasn't a freak accident. He'd already been thrown overboard. He, he was in the water. He was in distress. And what happens? God steps in. In Jonah's distress, God steps straight in. We know nothing about the fish. No details are given. We don't know the size of it. We don't know if it had scales. We, we, we don't know what the story was. He just mentions it twice and nothing more is even given. The fish isn't even the main emphasis. But what we begin to see is that God actually orchestrates a circumstance to teach Jonah something he desperately, desperately needed to know. He'd run from God. He'd ran from his mission. He'd ran from his mandate. Because it meant extending mercy to the, the, the people in the enemy camp. It meant extending, extending mercy to, uh, to the Assyrians. Jonah's mission revealed his heart, revealed his self-righteousness, revealed his, his, his racial prejudice. It revealed his deeper desires that showed that he wanted mercy for himself, but he wanted uh, justice and judgment for the others. And that, it's so like us, isn't it? I, I want mercy for me. Please be merciful for me. But God, I really hope you smite my enemies. I, I want your justice for the enemies, but I, I, want your, I want your mercy for me. And so how does God deal with Jonah? We're, we're going to see what God actually does. He provides the great fish to swallow him. He provides the great fish to swallow him, to keep him alive, to rescue him, and ultimately to protect him. And so whenever Jonah is deserving of being written off or completely pushed away, God steps in closer. God provides a, some providential means in order to rescue Jonah, not to write him off. And you know, all, all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, Whenever they'd sinned prior to facing the consequences of being put out of the garden, what does God do? He, he cries out and he says, Adam, where are you? And, and he said, I, I, I hid because I, I was ashamed. Why are you ashamed? Well, well, I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? And so what does God do before he puts them out? He covers their shame. He sacrifices an animal. He gets an animal skin to cover for their shame. God graciously provides for Adam and Eve all the way back at the start and throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, God has always been the initiator. God has always been the one to make the very first move. Noah and his family, saved by grace. 
Joseph into slavery and from slavery by what? God's grace. Moses brought Israel out of Egypt by what? By God's grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's his unearned favor. Grace is given by God to the undeserving. And so in, in this case, through Jonah, it was a spectacularly odd means of how this grace was distributed. But then ultimately to all of humanity, to all of humanity, grace comes through a spectacularly sacrificial means, his son Jesus. And so I think this is where religion actually gets it wrong. And I'm going to say it, I think this is where the Catholic Church has got it wrong. And I think this is where Ireland has got it wrong in the past. The very idea that we can earn God's grace through our own good works, through our own efforts, at very, very best leaves us moralistic. But at very, very worst, it leaves us fatalistic. It leaves us moralistic because if, if, if I simply do these things and if I simply say these prayers and if I recite this, then it's going to be enough. It's going to be good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm sorted. It's great. And it's, it's, it's fatalistic at worst because I, I keep struggling with sin. I said I wouldn't do that over and over again, but I keep doing it. I keep going back to the priest for confession for the very same thing. I can't give up sin. I, I, I struggle with it. I can't make myself better. There is no hope. But this is where God steps in. God has acted in history to save his people through grace, time and time again through these forerunners, and then ultimately through Jesus. You know, in the New Testament, Paul tells the church in Ephesus, for it is by grace that you have been saved. And it's through faith that it's not of yourselves, so nobody can boast, but rather it's a gift of God. You know, Jonah's nationality couldn't save him. Jonah being a Hebrew didn't save him, did not rescue him. His role as a prophet couldn't save him. His title made no difference. His Hebrew lineage, no difference. But yet God initiates it. God graciously provides the means of rescue. And so when it comes to understanding God's grace, there's a really subtle trap that we can follow into here. And it's this, we come to live in such a way whereby we believe that we've been saved by grace and it's of God and that's good, we believe that. But yet we then believe that we can be sustained by our own means, our own good works. So God has saved me from my sin by his grace, that's great. But then we just get on with life with our own good works, trying to sustain our faith just simply through good works. And so not only are we, are we saved by grace, but we're also sustained by grace. So look with me at the very start of the passage at, at verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And what does he do? In eight short verses, Jonah begins to recite the Psalms. Every single one of these eight verses are the Psalms. In the belly of the fish, even in the midst of a sin, Jonah knew that God was sovereign. Jonah is unequivocally saying that, God, you're sovereign right now. While I'm in the belly of the fish, you're sovereign. And what does he do? He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Psalm 18, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. Psalm 88, the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Psalm 42, 
The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me, Psalm 69. Jonah begins to pray the Psalms. He begins to pray the Psalms because he's found himself in a hard place. He turns back to the Lord, but yet he doesn't do anything. He, he turns back to the Lord, but he can't do anything. He's not in a place to carry out good works. He's not in a place to, to go and, and serve in his local church. He's not in a place to go and do A, B, C, or D to try to sustain his faith. He's in a tight spot. Jonah's still in a place where he's completely beyond control. He's a literal passenger. He's at the mercy of a great fish, but he's ultimately at the mercy of an even greater God. And so we begin to see that Jonah is saved by God's grace, but he's also sustained by God's grace. He isn't saved by God's grace and then made rely on his own efforts. And so I think for you and I, and especially me, when, when we live as if our lives are sustained by our own efforts, we've got a lot to, to keep up. We've got a lot to attain to. As a pandemic has rolled in and rolled through, it's left a wake of destruction in terms of relationships, community, confidence, economically. And many of us are feeling the strain. It could be the constant tiredness. It could be the lethargy that comes post-COVID, and it could be the frustration of not being able to operate like we once did. Why don't I have the capacity like what I did two years ago? God, I'm really frustrated. It could be the lack of desire to connect with people again and, and to love and to feel deeply because it takes effort to go deep. It takes effort to let people in again, and there's a fear of getting hurt once more. And, and then we get annoyed at ourselves because we're going backwards. Why can't I do this like what I used to do? And maybe it's a workplace and you're back in the office again or you're back in college. You're back connecting with colleagues that don't know Jesus. And there's already a weight, a burden of guilt. You've been back about two months and you, and, and you haven't shared Christ with anybody. And you're feeling guilty. You're feeling ashamed. Why can't I tell people about Jesus like what I did two years ago? Why? Why is my heart different? I want to tell you this truth today, that God has fresh grace for you. God's grace is not simply this one-time act to save you from your sins. It's this fresh grace that is constantly flowing to sustain you in every single season of life. In seasons of turmoil, God's grace is there to sustain you. In seasons of toil, Hard work, God's grace is there to sustain you. In good seasons, when everything is wonderful and, and rosy, God's grace is there to sustain you. And as we begin to live under that sustaining grace, we're then freely able to extend that grace to others. Which means I don't have to treat people as their sins deserve. Because I've been saved, because I've been transformed by the one who's forgiven all of my sins, I can then treat other people in a graceful manner because I first know the grace that's been extended to me. I've got the freedom to be merciful because I know of the grace that God has extended to me whenever I least deserved it. And so while it's going to cost me to let the other person off the hook, I'm willing to bear that burden. They, they might have slighted me. They, there might have been a misdemeanor. They might have said something that hurt me or got under my skin. But do you know what? I'm, I'm going to let it go. Why? You know, God, God forgive me. God extended grace upon grace upon grace toward me. 
His grace has, has set me free, which means I can set others free. I don't need to carry that burden. And so we're freely able to extend grace towards others, and, that, and that's great. And I, I think we can do that. And as Christians, we're, we're fairly well known for that at times. I think what we really actually struggle with is the grace to forgive ourselves. God's sustaining grace means that we are free to give ourselves some grace. And this is perhaps hardest for all of us. It's this inability to, to give ourselves grace, and it reveals quite a lot about us, actually. Often we, we, we haven't first believed that, that we are sustained by the grace of God. Here we, we, we might know the doctrines of grace in our heads, but the truths of that grace have never massaged our hearts. They've never made its way from the head to the heart. We struggle to let go of what God has already forgiven us. How many of you struggle to let go of what God has already forgiven you? You beat yourself up time and time again. You know that God has, has, has nailed that to the cross with Christ, but yet you go and pick up that baggage and you walk around with it all day, every day. You can't give yourself the grace. Or maybe you set unrealistic expectations of yourself and of others that that'll end up crushing you and, and disappointing you whenever we, we don't live up to them or whenever somebody else doesn't live up to them. I want to tell you this, because God is in control, you can trust him with your colleagues. Because God is control, in control, you can trust him with your own heart. Because God is in control, you don't have to get every single thing done. Everything doesn't have to be sorted. God hasn't asked me and he hasn't asked you to change the world. Always asked is to be, for you and for me to be faithful with what he has given, to steward well what he has given us. And so Mafi doesn't have to be 100% all the time. His voice doesn't need to be great. Fallow seasons can be good and they can be helpful. In Eugene Peterson's The Message, in, uh, in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, it says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And this is what Jesus is saying. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live lightly and freely. Church, I want to tell you, whenever there's deficiencies in your lives, whether it's by sin or whether it's just by a broken world, when there's deficiencies in our lives, God has always got an abundance of grace to cover for every single one of these. You know, it took Jonah to be inside the fish to recognize the grace on offer for him. And as he began to call out and as he began to pray the Psalms, God wasn't finished with him. God wasn't just content to sustain him by his grace. Jonah hadn't actually sorted himself out. His life wasn't peachy. It doesn't even say that he repented. Jonah hadn't, hadn't gone through pastoral care. He hadn't gone through discipleship. He, he hadn't gone through a 12-step program. All he'd done was cried out to the Lord. And look, what's, look what happens. Turn over and, and, and to the other page. Look at verse 10. Jonah hasn't got himself sorted out. But God was still willing to use him. And that's good news for you and me today. 
God will use us where we are at. He saves us by his grace. He sustains us by his grace. But more amazingly still, God sends us by his grace. And so as Jonah's prayer comes to a close, chapter 2 closes, verse 10 here, with this simple statement. And the Lord commanded the fish and had vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah spent three days, three nights inside the fish. It's only the second time the fish has even been mentioned. But yet God is in control. God commands the fish. He's vomited onto dry land. He's not vomited to Nineveh, hundreds of miles away. He's vomited onto dry land. Jonah's got a lot of walking to do. But his time in the fish has been over, and now he is sent. Now he's going to Nineveh. Look what he says in verse 9. This is what he's going to Nineveh with. Look at verse 9. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. That's Jonah's mandate. And so at this point, we still have every reason to write Jonah off. But yet, Jonah is God's chosen instrument. He's the prophet. He's the person that's supposed to carry the message. And, and we know that, that he bailed. We know that he was a coward. We know, we know that he's, he's a racist. We know he was prejudicial. But yet, God still chooses to use him. You know, we've got every reason to write off Jonah, but as we look at Jonah, we begin to see shades of ourselves. And we won't be long before we actually have a list of reasons to write ourselves off as to why God couldn't use you or me here in Dublin. Well, Matthew, you don't, you don't know what I've done in my past. You don't know what my life has looked like. You don't know what I've said, what I've thought. You don't know what my record looks like. You, you don't realize I've got a criminal record. How, how, how could I ever be, be, be sent? God doesn't write us off. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Amen? Amen. Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. But there's this greater Jonah, Jesus Christ, who spends three days in the grave. Jesus took the punishment for your sin and for my sin at Calvary. That we could become his righteousness. It comes through faith alone. Jesus died the death we should have died. He took the punishment for sin that was a debt that we owed. And what did we get in return? We get a restored relationship with God the Father. But I want to tell you, that is not the end of the story. The story doesn't end with a restored relationship with God the Father. The story continues on. Jonah's given a second chance. We're given a second chance. Before Jesus ascends to heaven, what did he do? He gathered his disciples, he gathered his followers, and he commissioned them, he sent them. He said, go. The very first word that Abram was given all the way back in Genesis 12 was go. And so Jesus commissioned his followers to go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to be doing baptisms in about six weeks' time. We're going to carry this great commission. Jonah's given the second chance, and we've no idea at this point where his heart was. We've no idea what, what he looks like. We don't even know what he's going to do with a second chance. We're going to find out in the next three weeks. But a second chance comes about because of God's grace in his life. We're going to see later in the chapter that, that Jonah's anger is directed towards God for being merciful to a wicked people. But, and we'll see that there's actually a greater and a deeper grace that needed to be done in Jonah's heart. Jonah sees the, the, the literal idols 
the literal, literal idols are the pagans, and, and Nineveh sees what they worship, but he misses the subtle idols in his own heart that keeps him from grasping that he too, like the pagans in Nineveh, is saved by grace and is, is sustained by grace and is sent by grace. The very same grace that the pagans in Nineveh needed, Jonah also needed, even in greater measure. But this should be good news for you and me today. We're given second chance after second chance. Not, 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 not because we're good looking, not because we come to church, not because we're part of a city group, but because God is gracious. And the second chances aren't because we finally deserve them, but it's an act of favor that flows towards us because of who we already are in Christ. And so the hope for you and me today is that God is willing to use you wherever you are at. Whatever your week looked like, whatever sin you'd fallen into, maybe you didn't even want to open the Bible. Maybe you, you, you just took a week off from God. I want to tell you, he wants to use you this week. He's got a word for you. He's got a message for you. He, he, he wants you to be a conduit of his grace to whatever spheres you, you, you guys live and breathe in. You don't have to have everything figured out. You can take a deep breath. You don't have to have finally uh, sorted out all that sin and the same repetitive sin that you keep going back to. God sends broken and messed up people to be instruments of his grace. And he sends you and I today, and that's good news. And God's concern ultimately was that there was 120,000 people who couldn't tell their left hand from their right hand. And it was God's compassion for the city that drove Jonah to the city. And so here we find ourselves in Dublin City. What are we going to do? How do we respond? Can I just invite the worship team back up again, please? What are we going to do to respond? We're going to begin with grace. It's tough to stay in the city. It's tough to make it work. It's tough to live in an expensive place. It's tough when our friends move away. But God is going to give us grace upon grace as he sends us to the city. God will not send you somewhere that he will not resource you with. Wherever he sends you, he will resource you. He'll provide the resources needed to stay. The resources to count the cost of being in mission in the big bad city. Jonah found grace in the hard place. And the thing is, it didn't actually look like grace at the time. It didn't look like grace at the time. It looked like a wet, smelly fish. And it's only in hindsight that we actually see that this was actually a means of God's grace. And so maybe the tough thing and the difficult thing that you're going through is perhaps a means of God's grace in your life. You mightn't feel like it at the time, but maybe when we look back and we'll get to see God's favor for you in the same way that God had favor for Jonah in the hard place. So we begin with grace, but we also begin small. We begin with where we're at. Most of us aren't going to make a huge impact in the city. I'm not going to change the city. But what I will do is equip a people who corporately will change the city. Who corporately will, will, will see the kingdom of God extended in this city. Who corporately will be the salt and the light that this nation and this city needs. So we begin with grace and we begin small. And the challenge for you this afternoon is, are you able to find grace in the hard place? Have you tapped into the giver of that grace? So will, will you stand with me?
there is a, there's a man called Jack Miller. He's a father and pastor of the writer Paul Miller. And he once said, God is far more ready to give us grace than we are to ask for it. I want to say that again. God is far more ready to give us grace than we are ready to ask for it. As we come to respond, let's be bold. Let's ask God for more of his grace. Let's ask God for more of his grace. It might be grace for other people. It might be grace for yourselves. It might be grace for a tough season. Let's ask God for more of his grace. And the caveat for Jonah is that the grace looked like a big fish. In hindsight, it was great, but at the time it was tough. So Lord Jesus, we, uh, we, we come before you and we recognize that that Jonah was a forerunner, but ultimately you are our savior and you are our Messiah. You are the giver of that great gift. And we are saved and we are sustained and we are sent by your grace. And so Jesus, we ask for more grace. Jesus, I ask for more grace for the moments in which, in, in which whenever I'm driving or in, in the city and in, tra- in traffic and in traffic lights, I get frustrated and upset. And I can't hack the city anymore. Jesus, give me more grace for that. Jesus, whatever it is in in our lives, I pray you'd give us grace for that. And as you give us grace for that, I pray that we would steward that grace well, that we would not cheapen it, that we would not abuse it, but as we are conduits of that grace, that there would be a broken and a hurting city that would find that refreshing, find that life-giving And find that to be something that they deeply desire in your name. Amen. Amen.